Um, excuse me? Is this thing on? Stop the presses. Hold the phone. It's time to step up to the mic. Here's what's going on in your community. Hello, Fair Mike FM listeners and or viewers. We appreciate you tuning in for another Humans in Tune segment with 93.9 Mike FM. It is Darren Bergfeld with you. And in the hot seat today, we have Dr. Elizabeth Dubois, who is just amazing. And I'm so glad you guys get to experience this conversation today. I encourage you to engage with us in the comments section as you're on Facebook and say hi. Welcome, Dr. Liz. Thanks for joining me. You're so welcome. Thank you for having me. I was, I, I, all I was missing was fireworks for the, you know, grand industrial intro. <laughs> pew, 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 pew. They're going off right now. Thanks for joining me. It is awesome to have you, and I'm glad that we've been able to connect. Uh, you're a pretty dynamic person, and I've been excited about this conversation because those who watch this and those who know me know I'm all about the positivity and bringing things forth and trying to find the best, getting the best out of people to make them feel like they're giving their best and you're getting the best. It's, it's just trying to make a win-win out of as much as possible on this planet, and uh, and you're doing it every day with people from all walks of life, but... We're going to talk yep. a little bit about, you know, your work on a day-to-day basis. We're going to talk a little bit about your history. And again, I encourage those who are watching live on Facebook to throw a comment up. I am paying attention to the comments, so we'll see them. Um, but yeah, so welcome. So um, you currently live uh, in the Northeast, right? Yeah, absolutely. I li- Well, I live in the Mid-Atlantic, just outside of Annapolis. Right. Because she lives on an island, kids, and uh, that's just part of your interesting story. So um, you know, you're doing the fantasy island thing. You got your your son there to say de plane, de plane. So let's talk about how you got where you are. We actually our airport is is maybe two minutes from us. So nice. it was a more funny joke than you even knew. <laughs> excellent, excellent, excellent. Um, so you've got a PhD in psychology, correct? Conflict analysis and resolution with focus on trauma. And that to me sounds like uh, if I've got a problem, you're the one to call. You're the mediator. You're going to find a common place where conversations can happen. Yeah, I actually, uh, can I curse? Am I allowed to do that? Yeah, it's Facebook. Cool, cool. I give two fucks about helping people (laughs) find (laughs) resolution between two parties. Um, so, So my real interest is in helping individual people open up their brain kind of pop the top and figure out what are the underlying conflicts that have arisen from childhood or from earlier in their life that are dictating their reactions to conflict now. So for example, right. If I have um, a divorce coaching client, I do high level professional development, coaching, executive coaching and divorce. If I've got a divorce client and they are very invested in a particular aspect of something that they're fighting about in this settlement agreement that they can't find resolution and they're so attached to it and it's right and they're spending thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars on lawyers attorneys and nobody's giving in and you know what what I do with that person is I walk them backwards to an earlier time in their life where they felt like they were not able to have what they needed have what they wanted in order to feel safe and secure and we from that place identify okay if we can make this kind of 10 year old version of yourself feel safe in this moment what does that version of you need in order to walk away from this thing peacefully 
or to see this in a different perspective. Oftentimes what people will do, I call it, they'll drop the rope, right? You've got two parties in a conflict and they're playing tug of war. Boop, 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 right? So if we can wrap ourselves in love, the, the younger version of ourselves, the part of ourselves that feel kind of activated by a conflict, if we can minister to that part instead of being like, I can't believe I'm being so stupid about this, right? Like the reason you're being so stupid about it is that there was some experience in your life that led you to believe that you are not safe unless you could control this particular thing. So once we can feel safe, we drop our side of the rope, which means we get to walk away. But it's also super fun to watch the other party fall on their butt, right? When you've been like, <laughs> right. <laughs> right? yeah. In a divorce, in a divorce, right? So if I'm working with someone and they are having a large conflict at work, right? Let's say they're their junior partner in a law firm, they're being asked to take on you know, 300 cases when the industry standard is, you know, 75, we work on what part of you felt like at a younger time, you had to take on more than what you really could in order to feel accepted, in order to feel worthy of love. And once we can kind of surround that part of you with love, you can go, oh man, I'm being treated like crap. And you can go find a new job where you're loved and accepted. Once you step out of that kind of codependent relationship with a manager and you're able to say, I don't need this person's approval because the person's approval that I need is my own. And therefore I don't have to deal with this schmuck anymore. Right. Self-affirmation. Self-affirmation, right? It all comes to how much are you willing to trust and care about yourself? Because if you trust and care about yourself, you don't go kind of looking for love in all the wrong places, right? <laughs> yeah. It's a great song too, by the way. Um, so I guess it's kind of almost like, you know, when you talk about finding that one thing, it's almost like in a medical sense, how you would treat cancer. You find that root element that has been embedded in, I guess, in their psyche that has caused them to develop that necessity for that element or that, you know, that piece of things. And by finding that and isolating it and put it in a new perspective for them, then you're creating basically the new need and, and that self-realization. Yeah, I call it the root trauma pattern. That's exactly what I call it, you know, and, and the potential of accelerating what you do in your life when you address this is so powerful. I had a client come to me. She was in one industry. She was the owner of the company, her company, but she was exhausted by it and had been like expressing herself by writing novels in her spare time. She was making a fair amount of money doing it. Um, and she came to me and she was like, yo, this is the direction I want to go in my life, but I feel a little less confident about it. I'd like to be making more money, right? And just for context, she was making about 6K a month, right? This was not a okay. change. Um, and we went backwards, found the root core trauma and addressed it, right? Looked at kind of the behavior pattern from a childhood experience that led her to believe she had to overperform and that it wasn't safe to be exceptional. I mean, really, that was what it came down to was she had done something in her childhood that made her exceptional and she got bullied for it. And so she has been walking around the world saying, I'm only allowed to be so successful. I'm only allowed to hit a certain mark before I'm going to lose love. So I'm going to kind of hold myself back from really accelerating, you know, and, and in, in a year of working together, she's gone from 6k, 8k months to a hundred thousand K months and, you know, sitting on the Amazon top 10 list consistently, so the potential to change your life radically through doing this work is, is limitless. That's awesome. I, yeah. And you, you don't think about that as, because most of us think, you know, we just try to succeed as much as possible, but yeah, there's a lot of that 
uh, and and to see you able to open up somebody like that and be able to open up the, their their ceiling, so to speak. Yeah, and, yeah absolutely. And, and make it limitless. So in this day-to-day work that you're doing, is this something that, you know, at an early age for you, uh, mm-hmm. something compelled you to just, have you always kind of been in that vein of, of thought of, you know, trying to help others, trying to help others succeed and, and accelerate their successes and so forth? Yeah. I mean, I think in various flavors, right? The driver for me, I've had two driving interests. One is I've always been fascinated with entrepreneurship and business ownership. Um, And then two, I've always been really fixated on improving other people's lives. And that has looked like I've taken different technical approaches in a lot of different seasons in my life. I worked in public policy. Um, I worked in nonprofit executive management for quite some time. Um, When I came to interpersonal conflict resolution and trauma, it was really because I had burnt out hardcore on the idea of what, what I always talked about was that kind of metaphor where there's a man walking down the beach and he's throwing starfish back into the ocean that had washed on the shore. And some, you know, jerk walks up and he's like, Oh, you think you're going to make a difference. And the guy's like, I bet I made a difference to that when he throws the starfish back. Right. And for me, the metaphor that drove my career for a long time, I always said, you know, I'm, I changed the tide. I, I fix whether or not, well, not fix I influence how many starfish get washed up the beach, right? I do that by changing laws. I do that by programs. I do that by teaching university. And I got to a point in the process of my own career where I just, I burnt out like my bandwidth to be available to other people to look at systematic change was completely gone. I just didn't have the capacity. Is that because you felt like you, you, piled too much on yourself or was kind of that futility of the starfish, even though you were doing it in bulk, so to speak, that that was kind of affecting you? It was, it was twofold, honestly. Um, well, I mean, it was very, my divorce was very difficult. I divorced someone that I cared about a lot, who I still care about a lot. Um, so there was the interpersonal side of things, but then I reached a, a point where, um, are you familiar with that children's song? There's a hole in the bucket. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I was working in Baltimore, working in advocacy around education funding. And there was just, there was always a hole in the bucket, right? You couldn't fix this because this was broken and you couldn't fix that thing that was broken because this thing was broken. Right. And um, my dissertation that will soon be a book is really about kind of like a lot of this goes back 400 years to the roots of this being a slave port. And there's only so much influence that can be leveraged until there's a lot of socio-cultural changes that happen. Um, and that became exhausting to me. Um, it, it just became exhausting to me. I um, published an op- my organization published an open letter um, in the midst of Baltimore had 60 schools without heat in the winter of some year. I'm not remembering correctly, it's a blur. And uh, we published this open letter on social media and uh, instantly I had um, leaders of color and the people, you know, leaders of color saying, you're not doing enough. This was tepid. This was bullshit. This was like a softball, blah, blah, blah. And I had um, people in the white business community literally calling me as I'm in the grocery store, uh, calling for my, just berating me. And I was like, you know, I don't think I'm the person that's going to be 
helpful right now because I'm I'm just too emotionally drained. Um, and then the other side of it was I was just being fake. Um, I'm an alcoholic. I'm in recovery. And I like the night that I decided I was done, I was at a fundraiser. I was with a potential donor and we're sitting having chit chat and she's telling me how to make the perfect cure Royale. And I'm, you know, like need her money. And so I'm sitting here playing along like, Oh, that sounds delicious. Like, meanwhile, you know, one of the things I'm the most grateful for is I'd not had a drink since 2006. And so I'm sitting here like lying to this woman's face that, that this sounds delicious when, you know, for me, it's poison. Right. Um, And then up comes the mayor, mayor Catherine Pugh, who is a criminal that went to, to jail, but at the time was just someone that I was quite critical of as as were many other leaders. Um, So me and this donor are chit chatting and and here comes the mayor and the donor and I are like, Oh gosh, such a fucked up bitch. Hi, how are you? You know, and I was just like, I'm being fake here. I'm being fake here. Like, I just am unwilling to play the game anymore because I can't. Um, So I I resigned and um, there was was, the organization had a financial crisis. And I was just like, I I can't, (laughs) I can't. Um, So I took about six months kind of applying to other public policy jobs and just was coming up with book guests. And I, I'm spiritual. And I went to bed one night and I just kind of yelled at God. I was like, fuck you. <laughs> I will go be a waitress again. Just tell me what I am supposed to be doing. And I woke up the next day and I knew I was supposed to be coaching. Um, and I kind of kicked and screamed a little bit about that. I'm like, it's an unregulated industry. Everybody's a life coach. Fuck right. this. <laughs> but, so it took a little while, but you know, I, I very quickly found my niche Um, and, and I, you know, I've gotten to work with, with active members of the military. I've gotten to work with people who have gone through sexual violence experiences. I have clients all around the world and every day that I get to do this is such a privilege. And I think above all out of that, what I'm getting is that at the end of that, and God said, okay, go ahead, but just listen, I'm going to put you there. And you got there, you were able to be yourself. You were able to be true to yourself. Yeah. Not to call Hamlet, but, you know. <laughs> yeah, I know for sure. I, you know, the thing that I preach above all else is authenticity. You know, if you are being someone that society told you to be in order to be loved, you're playing by somebody else's rules. And, you know, you're going to get to the end of your life and be like, gosh, I wonder who I could have been if I was myself. Right. Yeah. Nothing like looking back with regret. Um, yeah. You know, that's, that's awesome. I, I, I kind of fall in line with that with, you know, we chatted before on air about how I got back into radio and I feel like this is where I'm at. Cause this is where I'm meant to be to bring people like you to people like these that are watching and listening and, you know, and just, uh, making lives better. Um, mm-hmm. so now you're at this point, um, you know, how much travel, how's that work for you? You've got a son, like how does, how does your day to day look like now? Um, the pandemic made it really easy. I, I see clients on Zoom. <laughs> so, you know, I can, I can be in Malta in the morning and Toledo in the afternoon and Canada in the evening and New Zealand the next day. Um, and that's generally what my week looks like. You know, there's a lot of different geographic hopping and it's really fun. Although my accent gets muddled by the end of the week. Um, <laughs> I would imagine. Yeah. 
<laughs> I grew up in a lot of different regions in the U.S. And um, so my accent is a bit malleable. Um, and by the end of the week, I'm just like, F if I know. <laughs> yeah, right. Oh, today I think I've been in Minnesota. You know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, of course, you know, we talked a little bit about you being on an island, living on a yacht. And, and that, you know, it's not like you just woke up one day and said, oh, I think I'll go live on a lot uh, on a yacht. Like this was perpetuated kind of by the pandemic, right? No. Um, <laughs> the thing that you said the first was correct. Okay. Um, <laughs> and the, the one that sounds more reckless. That's the, the one. That, yeah. Well, that's true. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, seems like a good day so, to buy a yacht. It's a good story. It's a good story. So um, I read a Washington Post article probably like 15 years ago at this point that talked about people that lived on boats, which called live aboards. Um, people that lived aboard, there was a huge settlement in D.C. and there was the largest community of live aboards on the East Coast. And I was like, holy, like, I could afford to live in D.C., which I, I lived in D.C. anyway, but I couldn't mm. afford it. Uh, yeah. like, I can afford to live here. This would be amazing. Um, and I've always felt just a really deep spiritual connection to the water. Um, so it was something that me and my ex-husband had talked about. And it was kind of this like thing that maybe one day would do. Um, and then in 2019, I broke up with someone uh, at the beginning of the year. And I was still so in love with this person. Um, but they were treating, they they were just treating me small. They were treating me small. And um, I made a commitment to myself when I broke up with him. I said, I'm going to play all out as big as I can, as hard as I can. I'm going to go for every dream I've ever had. Um, And I just started viewing the world through that lens. And about two weeks after I left that um, relationship, my mom called and said, hey, my partner can't go on a cruise next week and it's fully paid for. And would you like to go? And I was like, fuck yes. I'll see you Uh, later. Twist my arm. Yeah. (laughs) Yes, please. Um, so I just made this commitment. I kind of married myself. I vowed, you know, that I'm all out, you know, live my, my commitment was I'm going to be all of myself all of the time. I was going to live bigger. That is and ambitious. I, yeah. I had in <laughs> lipstick, live, live bigger. Every mirror in my house, it said live bigger in lipstick. And uh, you know, my cleaning lady probably thought I was an ax murderer or something, but <laughs> <laughs> that's all right. Uh, so I'm, so I'm on this boat. And I've made this commitment to myself and I was doing uh, some workshops um, by a woman named Lacey Phillips. Her website is just to be magnetic.com. It's T O B E magnetic.com. So I'm doing these inner child workshops while on a cruise with my mother. Um, And I was rereading the power of now by Eckhart Tolle. And uh, I was just like grounding in and grounding into who I am. And so we go on one of the day excursions. We're in, we're in like floating in the bay of St. John in the U.S. Virgin Islands. And my, my intuition, my God, whatever you want to call it, was just like this clear, like, you're supposed to go do this thing. You're supposed to go live on a boat now. And um, I, I was so in a place of willingness to do whatever felt true to myself that I, I literally, I was like, jolly good all right let's go right and uh, so back on the cruise ship i found the washington post article and i called the real estate agent in it from the cruise ship and i said uh i'm a single mom is this fucking crazy and she's like nope isn't i had a young kid when i did it it's the best thing ever i have three boats now and uh so i just went for it um and yeah (laughs) 
How, what was your learning curve like for that? I mean, did you have experience, you know, on the open water other than the recent cruise? No. <laughs> I mean, I've been on a power boat like three times in my life. Like it I've been just, on a pontoon boat at a lake once. I'm, I got this. Forget about it. Yeah. I've never been on a pontoon. <laughs> <laughs> but but you've managed to make it work, right? I mean, that was yeah. Live or die at that point. You learn or die. So sink or swim. Yeah. 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 Literally. I know. I I called around. I I, everyone that I talked to was like, you can't rent a boat. And I was like, haha, you don't know me. Um, (laughs) So of course I found a boat and I rented it. And uh I moved me and my son on it. I sublet my apartment in Capitol Hill. And um the second my kid got onto the boat, he had really been crying a lot about not wanting to leave Capitol Hill and uh, it was really losing that familiarity that, you know, that's how kids subsist. So, yeah, exactly. So, so we get aboard, we've been aboard two minutes, maybe. And he turns to me and goes, "Never mind, mommy, let's do this forever. And uh, that's awesome. We just had a magical time. So, so after about six weeks, I started um, to get really serious about purchasing. Um, I had been unclear about whether I was getting a houseboat or a yacht. And, um, my spirit just said, keep going for like more adventure, more adventure. And, uh, so every night my son and I would fall asleep to Jimmy Buffett's boats to build Nice on our, on our Alexa. And we would just kind of be like, we're getting this boat and it's going to be great. And, you know, I just started the process of really feeling into like, what is, what is the right vessel? And then, um, my the law firm that I was coaching at wanted everyone back in person and I had a five-year-old six I don't know very young child at that point he was still in kindergarten and we were still like early in the days of the apocalypse and uh (laughs) I was like I I can't be back and so I I hired a business coach and um she's in New Zealand and I hired her and I said I want to leave my job in three years that's why I'm hiring you she's three years what the fuck three years are you mental and um so we had our first session then I quit my job three days later and then six weeks after that I bought the yacht in cash and I was just like let's go yep (laughs) kick the tires and light the fire so to speak love it and you didn't look back right I mean unless I was backing the boat up (laughs) right can you parallel park the boat that's the real question you know, funny thing that, so I had gas engines, um, offset twin engines and our starboard engine had a really shitty habit of breaking. Um, and so more often than not, I was docking just on the port engine. Right. And the thing about twin engines is like, if you only have one going, you spin in a circle. Right. Right. And so right. I'm, I'm, uh, steering against the one engine. Plus we didn't have a bow thruster. It was an older boat. And so I was like, I'm apparently new Mariner and I figured this out and, you know, I, I may not have done this long, but back up. I know what I'm doing. That's right. No Caddyshack moments where you're plowing through the dock. Right. I mean, I did have one of those. In <laughs> fairness. Eh, you know. But I have good insurance. I have really good insurance. <laughs> they probably appreciated the new dock. I took out a power tower leaving a marina. It was not the best moment of my life. That'll put a frown on some folks' faces, I'm sure. <laughs> so, so then, yeah. So you you hop on the boat. You you know you're able to start working remotely. Um, how I quickly? I worked remotely. I worked remotely. Remotely. Oh, oh. 
<laughs> well played. That's stellar. So you worked remotely. How how did you have a pretty good repertoire of people that you were ready to kind of get going with, or how did you build things at that point? Um. I had been divorce coaching in-house at a law firm, and they very graciously allowed me to take my client roster with me if the client reached out to me. So sure, they sent sure. letters, and then the clients reached out to me. Um, so I had a couple of people in pocket um, and just built it up from social media, like built it up from the ground up of, I've got enough scraped, you know, like I, I was really hoping to make $2,000 that first month. That was really my goal. I had some savings and, um, had some other sources of revenue because I was still teaching university at the time. And I was like, okay, if I can clear $2,000, I will be okay. Things are going to be great. And I can build it from there. And that first month I made $6,700 and just kind of took it from there. And, you know, six months later was comfortably clearing 50 K in sales months. And I was just like, okay, I think this will be okay. Yeah. I think this will work out. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. You can afford to buy another dock. (laughs) But again, good insurance. That's right. No need. So here you are now and, you know, you've got this established practice and, and, you know, a lot of your work is with high-end executives and, and they're getting burned out on work and you're helping them find that repurpose. And we talked briefly about that, you know, at the top of the, of the show. Um, how do you apply that to, I, obviously we've seen how you've applied, you know, these things to your own life. Um, but for, you know, Joe that's tuned in watching right now, that's like, you know, yeah, I've been uh, a radio DJ for 18 years and I'm burned out and I want to, you know, I want to do something else. I can't, I, I have a love for this or I have a love for that. How do they, because a lot of people, I think a big part of it for them is cutting the chains and taking that chance. You took that chance. Yeah. You bought the yacht in cash. You know, a lot of people are very rooted, especially here in, in the Midwest um, and are very proud of those roots and, and have a hard time cutting the ties and taking off and, and trying something new. What, what do you suggest that they, they take a look at re- introspectively or, or otherwise? Yeah, cool, cool, cool. So I'm going to tweak, clarify, and then answer the question. Um, So 100% of the people come to me because they want to go further faster. So it's less about, I'm not a veterinarian that takes in broken wings and teaches them to fly. I am a high performance coach standing at the edge of the track, explaining how you can get even more traction as you propel yourself towards the Olympic trials. Um, and I think that there's a lot of lessons for that for anyone. Um, so first off, I think that there's probably a misconception, right? That, that high performers are somehow different than Joe Schmo, right? And I, I grew up in Kings Mill, Ohio, so I'm familiar with the Midwest and right. and all of it, right? My family's all from Cleveland and, um, you know, I get it this burned in ethos that you get what you get and you don't get upset. And when you pan out and you say, okay, who is benefiting from me having this mentality that I've been raised with, right? Here's your mashed potatoes. Here's your meatloaf. Here's your belief that, you know, if you work for the auto industry and have a $17 an hour job, plus a pension, you're doing great right? All of these different things. We're going to serve them to you on a platter. This is going to be your belief system. Yum, 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 yum. Right. 
when you look at who is benefiting from the belief system of here's your hourly wage, here's your benefits package, you know, you're able to get your kids to school in the morning and tuck them in at night and life is great, right? We, we have this belief system that, that that's what we should expect, right? But when you pan out from that and you say, capitalist just capitalistic structures are benefiting from this, right? And they are no longer providing me security, right? We have in America had kind of a social contract that large companies and stable employers are going to provide us the means to be secure, be stable, right? Both of my parents um, had pensions in different ways. My dad had a pension. My mom took a buyout. My grandparents above them had pensions, right? Mm -hmm. Both of the folks, you know, all four of them stayed with companies for a very, very, very long time. My mom retired from the same company she started at. That contract's broken, right? Because we figured out how to make the gig economy work for large employees. We figured out how to make Airbnb work. We figured out how to make, you know, door dashers. If you've got a bicycle, you can make $10 an hour, right? And so Mm -hmm. we have the little folks scraping together income to the very best of their ability, right? Living with crushing credit card debt, living with crushing student debt, right? A lot of people, when they say, oh, you know, I, you have student loans and blah, blah, blah. Those student loans compound interest, right? The same way a credit card does. So I graduated with almost half a million dollars in debt. That's far bigger now, right? Because every, every year, you know, so we have a shortage of nurses, we have a shortage of doctors, we have all of these positions in our society that we're not able to fill adequately, because we've created structures that benefit kind of the system, if you will, right, versus individual people that just want to be able to afford to take their kids to the doctor, right? Like, I just want to be able to afford, you know, sending my kid to summer camp for the year, so that he can camp out the same way that I did every year. But because we've been these social contracts, we have people saying, I have the mentality that my employer is supposed to provide for my well-being, but I have the reality that is quite different than that, right? And so for those of you that are listening to this and saying, I'm really struggling and I'm doing it wrong and something's broken about me and I can't afford gas right now and that makes me bad because I should have saved up, right? If you're in your head about the ways that I have caused this problem. What you are ignoring is that these are structural choices that have been made in the service of larger power systems staying in play. And so what, where does that leave us as far as action, right? Now we can get angry about it, but what do we do about it, right? Right. And so what I, what I want to encourage everybody to do is look at what are the skill sets that you have that actually make you really happy, right? right? Not that make you $17 an hour. What makes you really happy? And how do you then monetize that? Because I promise you, whatever it is that brings you tremendous joy, there is a market for you to get paid for that. Yes, especially today. I mean, with the tech and and the availability of that. Uh, Absolutely, right? If you're, you know, hypothetically say, I don't know anybody in my life like this. I'm wink, wink, nod, nodding. I'm trying to talk a friend into doing this, right? If you love working on cars, right? What is the way that you can serve your community doing that, right? There's people like where I live, there's, there's huge disparities income. There's tons of wealthy people now commuting into DC because we're only an hour away. They're starved for time. Like I know for me, 
I something is wrong with my car at the moment. I haven't gotten it fixed yet because I don't have time to get to the mechanic right. during the time that they are open, right? Because this is an old school mechanic and they're like, we're open from nine to five. Yeah. Can you drop it off and pick it up later? Yeah. I'm like, well, fuck me up the ass. Uh, how am like, I going to get anywhere? <laughs> yeah, <exactly. laughs> you know, right. And so, right. If you can create a mobile mechanic business, I promise you there's a market for it, right? If you are super into I don't know. Give me an idea. I'll come up with a thing. Uh, you know, um, bike riding. Cool. Great. Where are the needs and like, where's the need in your community for bike riding things? How do you organize on social media, a bike riding club for kids where they come in and for $10, they learn how to tighten the chain if their bike chain comes off. Right. right. What are the things that teaches new moms how to install the bike seat or new dads right on the front of the thing. So it starts with number one, what do I love? Number two, where's their community need? And then number three, what structures do I need? Right. Mm -hmm. You need a a way for people to pay you You need a bank account. You need a payment processor. You need some way of keeping track of your books so that you pay the government so they don't hate you. Right. Right. These things don't have to be super complicated. You don't have to have a business plan. You didn't have to go to Wharton. You don't have to have a business coach, although, you know, for what it's worth, you might collapse your timeline from three, three years to three days if you do. Right. Uh, you know, it's, it's possible to monetize something and do it quickly. If you avoid people that are like, well, you have to have a business plan and you have to spend a bunch on marketing. Somebody, a coach was trying to sell me a product and they were like, well, I mean, you're not a new coach, but when we start with the newbies, they have a really hard time grasping that they need a marketing budget. And I'm like, LOL, LOL, I have an international quarter of a million dollar company. I've never spent a penny on marketing. Right? Yeah. And I, I think to that point, you know, when they find that, what makes them happy, figure out, you know, a path that they can choose to do that. Just like you, there's people out there who have found their path and their path is being a business advisor or helping someone provide with a business plan or, uh, and and, you know, like most of us, if we've got kids, family, mortgage, blah, 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 not a ton in savings to pour into some new project. You feel like a fool if you're going to dump $50,000 into some investing into some stamp collecting club or something that you want to create. But there are opportunities between grants, locally, state, nationally, et cetera, um, you know, our community here does a first 50 K competition for startups. So they come in with their business plan. They present, they pick one out. There's 50,000 bucks go out. And you know, like our bicycle guy, maybe he decides he wants to create a, an, an app based messenger service, hire a bike.com or something. They can get that funded and then be able to make that dream come true through that grant or through that gift, you know, that way, those opportunities are definitely there. I don't even have to be the guy in the question mark suit. I don't even remember what his name was. You remember that guy who used to do the infomercials about findagrant.com or something like that? You know, those opportunities are all over the place. Yeah, I mean, I had six months of, I'm trying to think. I had six months of operating expenses, meaning I could go for six months before we starved to death. Um, And my child wouldn't have. He has a very beautiful, active co-parent. You know, his dad and stepmom are amazing. But before I starved to death. um, (laughs) On on your yacht. (laughs) So I I didn't have a grant. I didn't have startup funds. I had like 13K cash in my bank account and like 20K available to me in credit. And I was just like, I know 
for sure. I can't stay in my current job because they need me in person. And so what's my next best option? And instead of panicking about it, I had um, this mentality of just like, what, what's going to work, right? As Joe Dirt would say, can't mm-hmm. have no one apart. It's right? battlefield <laughs> survival, right? You assess what you've got and you make use of those things to achieve what you need to do. Exactly. And I, I think that we have a culture, you know, I, I'm 38. I, I think folks that are of my generation and older and probably a little bit younger, we were spoon fed this mentality that you grow up and you get a job. Yeah. Right. Get out of school, go to college, get a job, have a family, cha-cha-cha. Exactly. Right. I call it the conveyor belt because there's so many adults that follow that path and then the conveyor belt breaks and they're like, oh, I got a divorce and now I'm a fuck up or I haven't gotten married yet and I'm a fuck up. That's me about 15, 16 years ago. So. Yeah. You know, but, but we only feel, right. It's the interpersonal complex side, right. We only feel bad about ourselves for that because we're listening to what society says. Right. Yeah. We listen to our heart. Right. And we're like, I'm in an abusive, fucked up marriage. I'm going to get out of here. The truth is I am making a wise decision and a courageous one. Right. But society's like, well, you had a failed marriage, right? Your paper is broken. Right. What yeah. if it was just you could pick a partner and then if it didn't work out, you could pick a new one. Right. Or pick yourself instead of this story of I'm doing it wrong. What if instead mm-hmm. of saying, oh, you're bouncing around jobs like, yeah, because every boss I've had has been toxic as shit. Right. And I'm choosing myself. Right. One in three businesses fails in the first year. Well, OK, but mine's not going to. But two out of three up. succeed. So. Yeah, exactly. Right. And and so what I did I, I, I knew I had this, this little bit of runway. And, and so I found a backup job. I found, I found a bridge job, right? And it was VIP kids. It was teaching online, teaching English to kids in China. And I was like, great, I can make up to $2,000 here. If I, if I really can't make a go of the coaching thing, that'll be where I go. At least right? you've got a mattress to land on if you fall off the roof. Right, exactly. It was like, I'm not going to starve. I'm not going to get kicked out of my home. I'm going to figure this out. But because I had this, I think there's IQ, there's EQ, and then what I call scrappy Q, right? And I was, I was scrappy. I was like, let's fucking go. Right. Um, you know, I, I had hired the woman that I hired to after the kind of three-day quit. She was my second business coach I'd hired. And I'd invested a fair amount of money. I think it was about $15,000 at that point. I invested this money. And I was like, there is no way I'm not making this back because I have my own back, right? I'm going, I'm all in. And I think when people decide I'm weird for wanting to do this because this is not the way it's done, right? And it's especially true in the Midwest, right? And I have a client in Ohio actually, and and she's run up against this where people are like, yeah. How how dare you break the mold? Yeah, she started her first business at 16. She was off to the races. Now she's making quite a bit more money in a job than the in, you know, the average person in Ohio. And she gets a lot of flack for it. And I think when we discourage excellence because it's different and it breaks the mold, we really rob our society from a lot of different innovation, right? Yeah. Well, yeah, think of that. Think of the the innovators in history. I mean, uh, what was the difference between, you know, the madman and the genius was success, right? So um, if you're doing it and you're doing it right and you're doing it well and you're succeeding, you're a genius. You're you're your own genius. And 
by not subscribing to everything else. Maybe, yeah, maybe 10 people poo-poo it, but maybe uh, 15 people get inspiration from that and say, you know what? They did it. I can do it. Yeah, or maybe it changes the whole fucking planet, right? Yeah, like I, that'd be nice. I'm oh, sorry, go ahead. No, that'd be nice. <laughs> yeah, but think another Midwestern example, right? Think about how Orville and Wilbur Wright's mom must have gotten chit-chatted with oh my right? gosh yeah. around Oguadaha. oh my gosh right the bless your heart bless your heart but your boys are still doing yeah. that crazy shit. oh bless your heart right <laughs> and meanwhile our kids are like in kitty hawk making you know the first man flight and it's just like when we decide as a culture that people are weird or crazy for trying something new we're discouraging innovation that's really in a dangerous way right because we may have the cure to cancer. We may have the cure to AIDS. We may have the cure to poverty. We may have the cure to homelessness, right? But when we take people who look at the world differently and they're like, I don't know, I see it a little differently. Uh -huh. And we say, you're broken and you're fucked up and you're weird. They don't pursue the kind of goals that they may have percolating in their heart because they're like, well, I don't want to be weird. Yep. And you're blowing out the light. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, to encapsulate in one sentence what my job is, it's to fan that flame. Like yeah. I take people's brains apart and I say all of the different reasons, all of these childhood memories, all of the societal programming that you have been inculcated with that told you that you're weird and bad. We're going to forget all of that. We are going to plug you into you instead of plug you into this social bullshit. And from that place, you can shine as bright as you want. That's awesome. This is good stuff. I'm yeah. so glad that uh, that I was able to have you on today uh, for Humans in Tune. If if somebody wants to learn more about you and they want to just dive in on the Dr. Liz story, uh, where are we going to send them? www soul like your soul doctor dr Liz soul doctor Liz. Oh, that's funky! I like that. Soul, soul doctor Liz. Liz. Yeah, he is. That's awesome. So, Okay. So I work with executives. I work with people going through a divorce. Uh, no matter where you are in the world, we can work together if it's a good fit. That's awesome. Dr. Liz, thank you so much for being my guest today. You're so welcome. This is another Humans in Tune segment. Hang out for just a second. I'm going to catch you before uh, you bail on me. But want to say thanks to everybody who tuned in. Again, if you just tuned in at the end and you're like, oh, poop, I missed it. Hey, it stays here on Facebook. You can hang out. You can catch it here. It'll also be repurposed on our podcast at 939MikeFM. We will see you next time for another segment of Humans in Tune. Thanks to Dr. Liz, and we'll see you next time. Peace.